All right, hello, and welcome to another edition, another fine edition of Chopped Greens. We are back and better than ever, baby. Here we go. And I have, not sitting across from me, not sitting next to me, nowhere near me, actually, as a matter of fact, Gareth Boucher is, is, uh, is virtually right in front of me. But you're in the other room. You're in your house where we normal our uh, normal chopped green studios. Gary, say hi to the people. What is up, everybody? Thank you so much, Philip. I'm so happy to be back. I'm in a broom closet. It is super stuffy. It's like 100 degrees <laughs> in here, man. But I'm really, really excited. It's been way too long. You've been in California. I've been out here. You're not that far away from me, man. But we're taking those COVID precautions, you know. We are, we are, we are as socially distanced as possible right now. We are in two separate houses. I mean, we are both uh, getting, you know, nice and warm. I'm, I actually am in Arizona as well, but you're right. I have been in California. This is a way that our podcast can, can go on. It can live on. It can uh, whatever. But we've been, we've both been yearning. Uh, I believe as Greece once put it just so mildly, the chills they are multiplying because of how much how excited I am to get back to these uh, to these podcasts, man. It's great to be back with you. Hell yeah, man! I have it's been growing in my mind. You know, in the vein of movies, I inceptioned myself. I thought one day, what if, what if Chop Greens was a thing again? And then that little nugget just grew and grew, and then we started talking again. You started flirting with me a little bit, and then I here did. We I are, did. Man. I, I slid into your DMs, you slid into mine. It, it was wet and wild is what it was. <laughs> <laughs> but where we landed on was going to a classic that neither you nor me had seen. We had certainly heard of. I think most people have heard of. Um, you were saying? I didn't know that you hadn't seen it. It was a thing for me because I was like, dude, that's awesome. But I've never seen One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. In fact, I kept on mixing it up with To Kill a Mockingbird, like that high, high school English <laughs> literature stuff, man. Yeah, it's the bird conundrum. Like anything that has falcon, uh, cuckoo, you know, mockingbird, anything that has bird in it, it kind of uh, cinematically goes together. Uh, <laughs> so yes, um, but you you mentioned it right there, and, and that's uh, a great entry point for us. We have watched and are about to review One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, and neither one of us has seen it. Luckily, it's on Netflix as of recording now. You know, they they change inventory fairly regularly so who knows if it'll still be there um by the time that you yeah, our faithful listener uh get a chance to watch it but of course this is the one that jack nicholson won one of his uh his many he has many now uh academy awards are we talking i think he's been nominated for at least seven i i believe he's won three this is possibly one of my give me five questions. So <laughs> Ah, I see, I see. So there we go. Um anyway, so Jack Nicholson takes uh the lead role in this film and uh it is directed by now are you familiar with how to how to say this man's name Mil- Milos Forman? I you know, that's the closest I think that I would get. (laughs) (laughs) That's just as good as we're going to get there. Uh, Also uh, starring Louise Fletcher and William Redfield and a a lot of just uh, side cast performances of uh, weird, just, I was like, uh, for instance, uh, Danny DeVito plays Martini in this and uh, no, not a Martini, the (laughs) Martini. 
Did you real? Did you recognize when watching this that it was Danny so DeVito? So not only Danny DeVito, but Doc from Back to the Future. So I'm watching this movie with with my mom. She was really excited to watch it, and I'd never seen it, so she wanted to watch me watch it. You know, and she she kept pausing it. And she was like, "You know who that is, right?" And I was like, "I don't know." And then she pointed out, and I was like, "Oh my god, it's Danny DeVito and and Doc Brown." I really. I, I just couldn't tell. And Danny DeVito is so young, too. I mean, the cast is amazing, but the fact that it was... I think it's one of his first movies that he ever did. Yeah. It certainly is. And uh, Brad Dourif as Billy Bibbit, mm-hmm. uh, which is so funny that he's Billy Bibbit because Billy Bibbit has a stutter, and so it was just all that. But he's also... Um, he's known as the voice of, of Chucky. He's... Um, so just an interesting, just interesting tidbits all around from yeah. the fallout of this film. And, uh, and we go to uh, things that stood out for us as we watched this film. Uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Now, right now, coincidentally on Netflix, and I, I'd imagine that it's too much of a coincidence for it not to be the reason why, but uh, of course there's an alternate series right now on Netflix called Ratchet, of the same mind of what Ratchet Nurse Ratchet in this in this film, uh, but different spelling. But it still takes place of uh, of the same character within this film, which uh, garnered um, Louise Fletcher her lone Oscar and her lone highlight in her. Well, not her lone highlight. I'm sure <laughs> the fans and family You're of offending Louise Fletcher all the will. theater fans out there, man. <laughs> a- absolutely, absolutely. The uh, the the role that she'll be known for, I I suppose, would probably be the best and and best way yeah. to say that. Um, but anyways, uh, Ratchet also on Netflix. Uh, part of the reason why I can imagine that One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest is on Netflix. Um, I must say, just starting off there, strong performance. Really, really a master class in owning the tension and the pause and the power that a person can possess within a role. Just speaking from an acting perspective, uh, what what did you see from uh, Nurse Ratchet? Gary? I think that Louise Fletcher had the hardest job of the movie, and I think that she did by far the best job because Nicholson, obviously, the whole time is really the, the Nicholson show on the surface, but he gets to be crazy and have fun, everything. And I think that, you know, as an actor, it's way harder to be dialed in and silent and act with looks you know and just her whole aura the the entire movie she keeps the tension at like a 9.9 out of 10 and you're waiting for that twig to snap and it's not because of Nicholson it's all because of her from the first time she walks in I just think her her physicality and the way that she plays with Nicholson especially like in the therapy scene and in in the baseball scene um yeah she really owned the movie for me I was really surprised and you know, I, I couldn't stop thinking about her performance and, you know, we can get into her, her character because I think she adds a lot of complexity to a character that could go uh, very strongly either way. Yeah, and it's it's one of those yin, yin and yang uh, performances, something along the lines of when we watch The Dark Knight, where... Yes, Heath Ledger's Joker doesn't is is phenomenal on its own, but also you do need that Christian Bale. It's almost uh, it's almost the the same as a uh, the straight man to the comedic man. One needs the other, and the opposite opposite polar opposites that Jack Nicholson and Louise Fletcher play almost deserve each other. And it's the the sanity that Louise Fletcher brings to to it that juxtaposes 
Jack Nicholson's either perceived or just natural hysterics uh, quite well. Uh, and honestly, they complement each other abundantly. And just uh, while we're still in the, the role of the cast, it's uh, Danny DeVito was the first to be cast, having played one of the patients, um, Martini, in the 1971 off-Broadway production. Um, there's just it's there's just fun little tidbits here and there. Christopher Lloyd, like you said, just to bring it back to Christopher Lloyd as Doc Brown uh, plays Max Tabor in Should this one. Should have known his name, man. Just I, <laughs> I just said that's Doc. I, uh, no, no, it's <laughs> it's all right. Uh, you always want to say uh, I always want to say Christopher Lloyd Webber, but it's it's not. It's Christopher Lloyd. And, uh, and he, it's, um, it's funny coming from a perspective of this is, I, I too know him as Doc Brown. This is a very youthful Christopher Lloyd that we find here and, uh, plays his, his role, his part very well. We have the, uh, the most questionably, uh, I don't know if they could get away with it nowadays, uh, Chief Bromden played by Will Sampson, um, is is honestly the the heart and the soul of this film. I feel like I feel almost as if the audience is personalized in the role of Will Sampson where you're just kind of a a side-by figure and by the end by the time that uh spoiler alert uh chief begins his his dialogue, his part to play in the film, that's when you as a viewer kind of have a semblance of where the film is going, where you're supposed to be feeling, because I'll admit watching this film, it was very organized disjointedness where sitting in and watching it at the beginning, it's, there's just a, a lot of questions, but none of it is, <laughs> is, uh, is out of place. None of it doesn't feel pointed. Uh, you sit there and you ask yourself, who are these patients? Um, is Jack Nicholson... I mean, they bring the question up themselves in the form of the psychiatrist who brings Nicholson in, and they say they think that you're not crazy and that you're just faking it. Uh, what do you have to say about that? And then from there, that kind of begins the premise upon which we try to discover whether or not he is, what is the definition of crazy, and, and everything else to follow. Yeah, you know, in doing some research about like the book that the movie was based on, I guess it's a lot more clearly stated. Of course, I I, I don't know because I haven't read it, but from what I could find out, it's clearly stated like, oh, he's not crazy, and he's definitely faking this because, like they say, he wants to get out of his work detail. He thinks he's going to have an easy time. It's funny to to look back on, and you mentioned the stuff with with Chief being Chief. Of course, you know, it's 1974. We got to look at it through through that lens. I made a note of that, but I was like, hey, this movie. It's based on a book that was written in the 60s, came out in the 70s. And it's interesting to look at just, you know, how mental health and these characters were looked at in, in the 70s, right? But I think that now, looking at uh, Jack Nicholson's character, I think that there's definitely an argument to be made that he sort of belongs there because he's definitely a danger to himself and, and others. I mean, he, you know, he has all these assault charges. And these things that he does throughout the movie are obviously reckless. Of course, he's made out to be more normal and you know he's just like this crazy violent guy who doesn't belong there but you know it's it's funny to uh, re reflect back on it i totally think that of course those institutions have no place you know with their practices and treating people but in in the scope of the film like oh yeah i mean he is one of the guys just because he's the most articulate doesn't mean he doesn't have issues and certainly viewing it from an outside perspective i think your allegiances shift as a viewer from person to person, cause to cause, side to side, 
throughout the film. I think an, an initially it's the sympathetic figures of the patients. Um, then you start to warm up to Jack Nicholson's character. And then you come in to find that you're kind of warm to the nurses. That 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 starts to wane a little bit. That starts to pull back. And then we find out some things, some distasteful things about Nicholson's character. And then we begin to have mixed emotions. And then even beyond that, I think really what helps sell this story is that with as little time as each patient is given to kind of really sell themselves as characters, as, as different people with different illnesses and different things holding them back in, in society that places them there. It's a testament to this film and to the writing that it actually is something of an astonishment when there is a moment where they all, where the majority of them admit that they are not assigned there, that they're self-admitted into the yeah. hospital. And, and that's really a beautiful moment of writing that I think deserves a breath of air, which leads to one of my few critiques on this film. Um, and I want to, I want to hear what you have to have to say about this, but there were a lot of pauses in this film, a lot of holding on shots that seemed not even for this, that didn't seem to have purpose. Obviously you had the opening credits with the weird whistling, whatever the heck that (laughs) was. And then you go back to the end credits and there's some, there's again, a different form of whistling. I I didn't necessarily connect the dots. I'm sure they're, they're, they're purposeful as much of it was, but for me, the this there were a lot of times that it would either sit on Ratchet, Nicholson, certain characters, what have you, on the on these like uh, still frames on people, and it didn't seem to serve a purpose of <laughs> of hold of moving progressing the forward forward story. Even with a character such as uh, Nurse Ratchet, uh, where maybe it's like holding the power for a second too long. No, it just seemed to hold just a reason to just pad runtime. What what were your takes? As far as those shots, I guess that they may be a little bit on the nose as far as, like, really honing in on, like you said, those looks. I think that at least when they have it with Louise Fletcher, um, it's it's pretty effective. Um, I was really struggling to find a lot of negative takeaways after I saw it, as especially, like, visually. Um, I felt like with, with the camera work, it was really simple. A lot of basic pans, just wide shots. They kept everything in focus, and I, I wasn't like distracted by the camera you know sometimes they do hold and they have a you know some of those like really slow zooms onto a character's face and you're like ah i get it but truly um i was really taken with the movie from the beginning because there wasn't any any cute stuff that 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 the cinematographer was doing you know it's it's very basic i felt um and i wanted to to touch back on what you said about some of the changes and how your opinions of the characters changed throughout the movie I knew going into it that Ratchet was considered this like crazy iconic movie villain, right? And in the first 20 minutes, I'm like, what the hell is everyone talking about? Obviously like there's you know some unfortunate stuff going on, but you know you, you can identify with the fact that she's just a woman who's doing her job, right? But then as the movie goes on and you start to pick up on the fact that she's actually on a power trip and the things that she's doing are unnecessary and then you can see Nicholson's character with all of his flaws coming in and doing things that are genuinely good. What was the moment that you kind of married the two between the iconic character and just the woman doing her job? Uh, for me, I think it was sometime around the, the 
the where they were like, do we give up on Nicholson's character now, or do we do we keep him here? And she was the pivotal character to to make the case for him to stay. What what was it for you? The moment where where she really became more of a villain, and you can see her power trip. Is that what you're saying? For yeah. me, it was actually um, when they were voting, and she let them have a second vote. And she's just messing with Nicholson's character, and she's like, cool, if you can get any of these guys to vote yes, the guys who can't talk, who don't even know who they are anymore, then I'll let you watch your baseball game. And she's just watching him with, with amusement as he's desperately trying to get everyone to vote. And then, of course, Chief raises his hand, and she she just you know, smirks at him from, from behind her, her nurse station, and she's like, oh, sorry, vote's over. You know, and she, I mean, the whole purpose of that was just to put him on a string. And I was like, wait, okay, I see what's going on here. She is just like wearing him out to show, no, I have all the control here. You're not going to have any joy unless it's joy that I decide you're going to have. I, I don't want you to watch a baseball game. You can play cards for 10 minutes a day, but you don't get what you want. You know, this, this is my thing. And then all of her actions and especially looking back before then. And then of course, for the rest of the film, you can really see, everything that she's doing is a power chip and she kind of gets the sick enjoyment off, off of watching these men like torture themselves, whether it be not giving uh, the guy his cigarettes or just forcing Billy to tell his life story. He doesn't want to, you know, at, w- once I saw that, I was like, okay, she's just a cat with a mouse right now. And that's really where the writing kind of shines because I felt like the writing for the majority of the film well, it's hard because it's about 50-50 where 50% of the time it was just standard. It was just fine, which is, which again is just that it's fine. But there are moments and scenes and other times where it just felt it, it elevated and it went above and I could see why it's, why the play, why the movie, why it's so revered as an American, um, masterclass or masterpiece really of, of literature because, the moment, and, and of course it's pronounced by the acting, of course, but there are moments that just really pronounce things. Of course, the entire scene of the vote from, from beginning to end was really just a, a reason to continue and move forward on the film that feels earned. Um, you, when you talk about the up of getting the vote to going down to the low of being like, oh, you need to convince somebody else to going back to up by getting chief to vote. Going back to the low of times up, by going back to the fine, the the most up elation moment you you could possibly derive organically, of them creating a baseball game for them all to derive enjoyment from, I damn near clapped out of my of my of my sofa my my chair. I was just going with them and and to see the the hatred, all of that was just just truly truly. A, a moment, a scene, a time worthy of its of its appreciation. And it's it's one of the few times in cinematic history that I've seen uh, I, I had seen glimpses and clips of that of that scene. Um, but uh, it feels like one of those movie historical scenes that merit its place there. I, I think of like risky business where Tom Cruise, slides out into the into the into the room and yes it's fun but it's not really iconic it's nothing like uh, when you think back to uh what's the robin williams one? Oh, captain my captain the, they have those Dead those Poets um 
Yeah. Dead Poet Society. Exactly. Precisely. Um, Dead Poet Society. You think of those moments where it's just like there are moments in, in cinematic history that really, really define what the movie was, really pronounce what it was. Those types of moments, that scene in particular, creating a baseball game from memory, just, just going full out. That's what won everybody the Oscars. That's that's what it was. Yeah, there's there's a few scenes and and I'm trying to like nail down really like what are the most timeless scenes because I wasn't really aware of anything that was happening in the movie at all. I hadn't seen anything, you know, except for like screen grabs of Jack Nicholson, right? So the baseball is up there. I think that my personal favorite is when they go out into the Pacific and they steal the boat and it's just it breaks down into this like lovely chaos of him teaching them all how to fish and trying to have sex with the prostitute and then they're all it all just goes crazy and the boat's spinning spinning around but it's for them that's like the one moment where it's it's really heaven because they're away from from everything you know and then there's some good old-fashioned screenwriter callback where in the beginning you know, Jack Nicholson's character tries to rip the the fountain out of the ground that he can't, and then there's the ultimate payoff with Chief ripping it out, throwing it through the window. Like that's just some old school setup payoff that is just done. It's like you said, a masterclass. It's absolutely perfect how they build it up. And in that moment too, just to just to expand on what you said, I think we kind of find out Nicholson's whole mantra, his whole ethos within the character of "But I tried." Yeah. And and that was and then to to juxtapose that with the end scene with Chief using that as his ultimate tool of liberation, uh, I think and him just doing because that was really both of those those characters like Chief just did what he needed to do to survive. Jack Nicholson was not above trying any and everything in life really because that's what got him there was just trying things because he got there because he's like well maybe that let's try this maybe I'll I'll have an easier way to to get through whatever it is but I tried. Just so many weaving storylines that kind of go back and forth as we see throughout this film. Just beautifully, beautifully done. Um, when I think of negatives on this film, it's really, it's really hard to find anything basic hard, uh, at its hard uh, at its heart. Really, excuse me. That's negative. Yeah, with we picked it. a classic, uh, man. I mean, truly, like. I- it stuck with me for hours. Like I, I sat in the shower for 20 minutes last night, just talking to myself about it. I woke up this morning thinking about it. It was shower it was, good. It was one of those. Maybe was, that should be one of our new metrics for like, was this movie shower good? Yeah. And it, it definitely yeah, like, was. The last yeah. time I watched a movie that was this shower good was probably The Irishman. Um, thought about that one for, for a long time, man. And, you know, I, I was trying to nitpick and I was like, man – really except for maybe some stuff that is just problematic because it was the 70s it's really like i mean oh I'm yeah not i mean again that stuff, really i mean i it was amazing yeah no you're you're absolutely right the the chief and there are some other times where there are other slight um characterizations or things that you just simply couldn't write nowadays i i I'm sure that there are ways that you could subvert around that if you wanted to do that play nowadays and you wanted to be more politically it's, correct, which is which it's is It's interesting, fine, too, because, yeah. I mean, the way that we view mental health and the problems that, that those men have is totally different now because it's like one guy's schizophrenic, one guy's probably bipolar, another guy is this, another guy is, is that. But, you, you know, in the 60s and 70s, that is where they put everybody who – society didn't know what to do with now of course these people could function in society with the right help and medication right but 
it's it's interesting to to see like you know this is how it it was viewed you know just this kind of band of misfits that they threw together uh, you know and th- that was what happened for years and of course if they couldn't uh you know get you to behave there was electroconvulsive therapy and then ultimately what happens to to Nicholson at the end um which is the nail in the coffin of Ratchet being the most evil person. She can't tame someone's personality, so she literally rips it out of their head, man. Of course, of course he yeah, did try it, to it, kill her, but that, I mean, still, <laughs> he didn't, and she essentially killed him. Uh, I did have one <clears throat> question since I come to you from a perspective of I, I have more of a dabbling in actor, uh, and while you have that as well, your expertise to writing is beyond mine exponentially. So I wonder, in your opinion, when you're watching the ending and you're seeing Christopher Lloyd's character, Max Tabor, um, yelling, he did it, the old (laughs) son of a gun did it. Do you believe, because that was my biggest question in closing up this film, uh, do you believe that he knew it was Chief or that he was talking about a (laughs) a now covered uh, R.P. McMurphy? Um, who do you believe he was referencing there? What 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 was going on? You know, in that it's funny. Moment? I hadn't even thought about that, and and the answer is probably traditionally like, well, it doesn't matter because it's 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 the climax of the movie, right? I think that he was probably thinking of McMurphy uh, because at this point nobody knows Chief except for McMurphy, right? As far as screenwritery things, though, I mean that is really just the perfect culmination of all the little hints that have been dropped in the movie like i said like chief is talking you know the 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 fountain and the window finally breaking you know it's so powerful the movie's such a slow burn and it's long it's it's hard to you know be engaging in every scene that you write and not feel like anything's wasted or anything's dragging um the uh, it is it is funny that had I told you before that film started that about halfway in that film you were going to be on a boat in the Pacific, you would have thought, how do they justifiably get there? <laughs> how, like, you wouldn't have even been like, that doesn't make sense. You would have been like, this can't be good if they get somehow to there. But it, it is. They, they went a long way from point A, the beginning, to point B. Yeah, and, to your point. and then it all just comes back full circle. It's interesting because that... Pacific scene, I guess, which traditionally you would think of it as like the climax of a movie, but that happens one hour in, and then things really kind of go south after that, you know, um, except for when he has the the Christmas party. What I thought was interesting was that coming in, and of course, you know, this is based on on a novel, so this has something to do with it. But you know, traditionally, like in a movie, you've got a character who's a hero, who has a clearly defined goal, right, and you're watching them and rooting for them as they work towards that goal with McMurphy. It's really like he comes in and he just kind of wants to ride out his sentence. That's not a very engaging goal for like an audience member, right? It's not like we're going to go blow up, up, up the death star. It's we're going to kind of just chill in the loony bin, you know? And then I guess he kind of takes it upon himself to like liberate everybody, but it's really unclear you know, from the beginning. And it's, it's really clever how it engages you without, you know, being very on the nose about like, I'm going to take it upon myself to liberate these poor men from this evil nurse, you know, because you can make an <laughs> argument the entire movie that like Ratchet's doing her job and, but she is, and that's why she's so evil because her job is, 
is evil, right? Right. It's an inhumane way to humanely deal with people that have real issues. And um, it, it's, it's, uh, it truly is a, a great film that I think you can safely recommend to people above teenage years and, and, and on. Because uh, some, some films we deal with, it's like just family or everybody can watch this. Some some people, you know, it's just like, oh, if you like dark things, then watch this. This film, I think, needs to be watched by people that can at least comprehend. I, I'll admit, at a younger age, I don't think I would have fully appreciated this film as much. I think I, a lot of the emotional tones definitely ring through no matter what age you are. Like, no matter what age you are, that baseball scene will do something for you. Um, but And then you'll even even like a lot of the characters at any at any age, but this is a, one of the few films that I would suggest watch this beyond teenage years. Yeah, I mean, there's there's some heavy stuff, and it's there's some pretty disturbing stuff. I mean, I was really queasy during the uh, uh, electroshock therapy scene. Um, obviously, there's, like, language and, and sexual stuff. Um, I don't know. I, I think that it would be good. I mean, if I would have – obviously, I'm, I'm glad that I can look at it now through, you know, the lens that we're talking about it, but I think it would be um, high school-y – age i think i mean we, we were reading this stuff in high school you know so right all right so let's go down to our last two things quickly here um i'm hitting you with this as let's a surprise but who was your favorite who was your favorite patient um in there i'll if you can't remember i'll go with charlie uh who i believe he's charlie was the one who just wanted his cigarettes and was just just an above all just just wanted I wanted to be his friend god I love Charlie your turn a lot of them are, are are funny which is also like some of the stuff that's like borderline problematic but at the same time it's it's really endearing you know um ultimately I think that um I think that Billy was my favorite and because he I mean he is just so sweet once you learn about his backstory I think that he's a perfect foil to uh, Murphy, and then it's like such a gut wrench for what happens to him at, at the end. I mean, I was heartbroken, um, but I think that truly he was my favorite patient. Just I, I think that the actor, I think that you know, when, when it comes to actors playing like quote unquote crazy people, they can really take it and run with it, and it can be really gimmicky. But I think that they all towed the line really well between like, come on, man, this is stupid, to this feels genuine in the you know in the lens of of, of the movie. One last hurrah for the writing, I, which reminded me. Thank you for bringing up Billy. Um, nobody made fun of his stutter. I feel like that's such a crutch. Whenever you have a, a somebody needs to point it out or somebody needs to make fun of it, somebody whatever needs to go, it is. Bub, 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 nope. Billy. Nobody did. Yeah, yeah. A, exactly. Nobody did. Nobody. Not even Nicholson's character. I was like, this is definitely going to come up. No, no. It blew my mind that that they felt confident enough in the writing, even at that time when they could have gotten away with it far better than they could now. Even now, I still feel like they they it might have degenerated. But either way, bravo. Uh, finally. How many voucher bars are you giving this bad boy? Out of five, one to five, or actually, I guess zero, zero to five, five would be technically. Am I allowed to use uh, yeah. decimals? Uh, yeah, I'm why gonna not? give it. This is one of the best movies we we've reviewed. I think I like. Let me just read. I mean, we 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 really got through a lot here, but let me just tell the listener that, I mean, it is a true classic and it's deserving of that status. I'm gonna give it like a four point eight out of five. 
You're a bit more generous yeah. than I am. I'm giving it a 4.5. Um, it's not for any faults of its own. It's just I don't... it At the base level, this film is great at acting, great at writing. Um, and I'd even say great yeah. at directing because I just, I would, I would say that, you know, the direction that even the multiple minor characters took seemed to be well thought out in place. There are just some minute issues I would, minute, minute, minute issues I would have with, um, uh, the sound, the audio that came along with it. And then there were times where I just was like, eh, the music kind of feels weird in this. Um, but that it did, it never took me far enough out to really be cr- critical of it so that's why i'm going to go 4.5 but again all the merits you stated just completely valid and and, and it deserves its place in cinematic history you know what sure. i i just thought of actually a, a nitpick a negative the the, oh, the weakest part of the movie for me is actually like the the underlying like d plot conflict between mcmurphy and that the nurse who ends up fighting him you know what i'm talking about I think his name is, think is Washington in the movie. Oh, they you're have right, this you're kind right. of thing going the whole time where they're one upping each other and they're kind of having a a big you know what contest and it's like it doesn't feel like it has that much of a place in, in the climax of the movie as much as him and Ratchet and everything else that's going on. So that I mean I could have done away with that subplot and the movie is pretty much the same thing for me. I think. No, that's fair. That's fair and. Um, I'm I'm glad that you had something negative to say about the film. Else, I I don't know that I we could have done another one. You know. <laughs> uh, anyways, though. All right. Sounds great. Thank you all to uh, listen for this get right get back uh, podcast of ours. We will definitely be doing another one. It is October, Ooh. so we so the next uh, podcast episode you'll find here is give me five, but the next movie ep- podcast that you'll find. Um, We'll be, we were kicking around the idea of some spooky classics. Um, I know I saw Hocus Pocus for the first <laughs> time a couple weeks ago. I don't think we'll be doing that one. It's, it's, uh, I, I feel like I'd hurt too many feelings. But <laughs> we'll, we'll see if we can find another Halloween classic that, that um, maybe one or both of us haven't seen that we can uh, scrounge up. Thank you so much, Thank Gary. you, Philip. This has been a pleasure. I'm so happy to be back, man. All right. Uh, until next time, thank you all for listening. And uh, have a wonderful day. Ciao.